Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a study in the book of Ecclesiastes called Unsatisfied, The Search for Meaning. We're learning that chasing after satisfaction apart from God will leave us empty. Thanks for joining us. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 today. And uh, as you're turning there, if you're getting used to it, again, like Chuck said to us earlier, Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. If you turn right, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is right nearby. And if you're using the Black Bibles, it's on page 465. Now, while you're turning there, if you haven't been with us, we've been in this series. This, I think, is week 10 of Ecclesiastes. We've called this series Unsatisfied because Ecclesiastes, in part, is about about a person's search for meaning and satisfaction in this life. We've been looking at that question. And so today, uh, as we look at this passage, I want to mention something that you're going to notice. You're going to notice the word death. A number of years ago, I was intrigued because I heard a phrase I've never been able to forget. And it was this phrase, a good death. Let me share a quote with you from J.I. Packer because he includes it in this quote. He said the Puritans were robust in their view of life. To be a Puritan was to look forward to the glory that is to come and to prepare for a good death. The Puritans lived in the 1600s and the early 1700s, and their goal was to really know the Lord. And uh, so Puritan pastors that have written have said that they saw their primary responsibility as a shepherd over people was to help them prepare for a good death. And as a pastor, I've often asked myself, am I involved in that kind of work? Am I helping to prepare people for a good death? In our culture, we never put the word good and death together, do we? Because for us, it's just bad news. Uh, and also because we're, we live with a fear of it. We live with a dread of it. Uh, Woody Allen has wittingly says, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And so we know that there is a certain amount of death that brings uh, caution and dread and, and darkness to us. And so, but this passage, here we go again, Solomon brings us back to it. Again, if you're following along the notes, notice this first line, Solomon returns in this chapter to the hard reality of death under the sun. Solomon returns to the hard reality of death under the sun. Now, again, when we talk about this phrase, under the sun, do you mind if I review just a moment? On the first week, I told you that when I was in college, I had a philosophy professor who did something interesting, and he used one of these. It was a toilet roll, an empty toilet roll. You ever seen one of these? And so I think all of us have, and so he said, I want to just describe to you, when you think of your view of life, you have to ask yourself if you have a closed system or an open system. He said, if you have a closed system, you believe that all that exists is inside this role. And there is no outside, there is no God, there are no miracles, it's all what happens in here. This world and our five senses is all there is. There's nothing beyond that. But he says, if you believe in an open system where there is a God who can interact with us inside this, who actually created this system, and created this world, then there's more options, but you need to know that either way has ramifications. 
So he pushed us to try and think about that. Solomon is doing the same thing. I said in the first week that if you read Ecclesiastes all the way through all 12 chapters, 29 times I believe the number is, you'll find this phrase, under the sun. And the idea is, meaning this world and all there is. So he's saying, look, as I made observations under the sun, here's what I saw. And one of the things that bothered me the most was death. Huh, what do you do with death? And what's your view of under the sun or beyond the sun? And so if you're following along, how do we find true satisfaction, meaning in life, if we know death is coming? I mean, in some ways, if death is coming, isn't that the great eraser of all we do. A guy named David Watson tells about a medical student who came to see him after dissecting his first cadaver. The student was deeply shaken by the experience because as he cut through muscle and other tissue to expose the body's internal organs, he said to himself, if this is all that we become at death, what is the point of anything? If this is all that we become at death, What is the point of anything? And that's one of the questions we have to honestly ask ourselves. What's the point? If we're all going to die, if we're going to all be forgotten eventually, then does today even matter? How do we respond to that? And so Solomon, once again, is goading us, pushing us, and he frames in these 12 verses, interestingly, the outside of the frame on both ends of this section of the scripture gives more discussion about death, and in the center of that frame is where the picture that he wants us to see of what life can be if we're going to find meaning and satisfaction from God under the sun. So I want to pray before we look at this, and then we'll dig in. Now, Lord, I need this message because I know that sometimes I think of death at a distance. I don't always think about the day of my death. I don't always think about what that means for other people. And so would you please teach us how we can live today with that day in mind and live more meaningfully and more more satisfactorily. Lord, I want to also just admit to you, I know that I cannot speak any further than to the outside of someone's ears, but you, you can take it inside our ears and our hearts and our minds, and you can change us. Your word is living and active. I pray that you, by your spirit, will work today in the hearts of many. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so let's look at this together. I'm going to read uh, verse 1 from chapter 9, and then invite you to read a summary of chap- uh, verse 2 and 3 when, after I read that, okay? So I reflected on all this, Solomon said, and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. I was fascinated by it. Basically, I'm just going to have to just trust that those people are in God's hands, and that's beyond me. He's been talking about this. There's some things that we just don't know. And Steve helped us look at that last week about some of the justice issues and some of the things that are just so perplexing. Solomon had us grapple with. So now, verse two and three, would you read that with me in the first gray box, please? All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. The same destiny overtakes all. So Solomon talks about this thing that really bothers them. If you're following along in the notes, Solomon tells us that death is inevitable and life is unpredictable. 
Solomon tells us that death is inevitable and life is unpredictable. Let me read uh, verse three and following. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. By the way, in that culture, dogs were scavengers in, in junkyards. And they were not considered you know, pets that we go, oh, isn't that cute? Uh, these were, they were considered like the lowest uh, version of animals at that time, but a lion was considered majestic. He's saying even a, a live dog is better than a dead lion. And then he goes on and says this. It says, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Solomon tells us that death is inevitable and life is unpredictable. Have you noticed that? I've been learning that. Uh, Tim, excuse me, Rand, uh, Danny Aiken says this. One thing is abundantly clear. Death is a predator that tracks us down. We can't outrun death no matter how much kale we eat, how many medicines we take, how many diets we try, how many Botox injections we receive, or how many workout programs we do. Death really seems to render life senseless because it cancels out everything we do. And all our human effort is not the ultimate factor in whether we die or live. Effort in the end has nothing to do with it. There are really fit people whose hearts give out and they die young, and there are chain smokers who live into their 90s. And you've seen this, and you go, what gives? And so Solomon's looking at life under the sun, and he brings this up. And he says, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Notice if you're following along as well, that he says in these first six verses that death comes to every person, good and bad. Death comes to every person, good and bad. Someone has said that the death rate still hovers right around 100%. Now, there are a couple exceptions we read about in the Bible. Enoch and Elijah were translated. Outside of that, everybody else has died. That's a fascinating statistic. And if that statistic is true, then who are you and I to think will be the human exception? How do we live like we are going to be the exception to that? Sometimes we just put it off, keep it far away, or we just ignore it. But Solomon's saying, don't ignore it. It bothers me. Does it bother you? Does it, does it at least get your attention? Um, again, he does this very dramatically in a poetic style. He uses six pairs or six couplets. And he contrasts. So he notices, he says, you know, uh, as the one I've listed there, uh, in the notes there, in that first grade box, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, you know, those who take oaths and those who do not, you know, it just seems crazy, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. He basically says it's coming. Now, this is interesting because in our culture, there's lots of different ways to maybe either explain this away or offer an alternative. One of those is reincarnation. You get more than one chance. You may come back as a cockroach, but you get more than one chance, okay? It's all about karma. It's all about human effort. All about what you do to keep improving yourself, so on. So what you see in there is that the idea is, is that it's many chances. But look at Hebrews 9.27 with me. Let's read it together. 
People are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. So there are no do-overs, second chances. This world, this life under the sun, we get one shot. And Solomon is saying, that's the case. It doesn't matter whether you're righteous or you know, sinful, it doesn't matter. You're going to get one chance. How are you going to spend it? How are you going to look at life while you're here under the sun? And so uh, notice this. He, he, I told you the frame of it or the sandwich of it. Look, drop down to verses 11 and 12 before we come to verses 7 through 10. Let's look at what else he says about this. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. Do you see those five different people? The swift, the strong, the wise, the brilliant, the learned. They're the winners, right? He says, basically, there's no guarantee. It says, but time and chance happen to them all and happen in a way that's confusing. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. If you're following along, one of the things I want to make sure you know is when he says time and chance, he brings it up. Our culture uses the word chance or lucky all the time, fate, okay? But that's not what, that's not what Solomon means. Time and chance, if you're following along, uh, chance simply means an unexpected event or sudden calamity an unexpected event or sudden calamity. The idea here is I'm not able to explain it. So it looks like chance. It looks like it's just a roll of a dice. But we've already been learning that he says, no, no, no. God's hand is involved in life under the sun in ways that are difficult to understand sometimes. But don't just think that it's like there's no, nothing behind all this. There's no order or anything like that. He's saying, look though, you need to understand that there are things that happen that look like that, that seem like that. And so if you have uh, a sudden calamity or an unexpected thing happen to you, everything inside of you just wants to go, this is all about chance. And the way that he means chance is, this is unexpected, this is sudden, I can't explain it. This is beyond me. And it happens to people, I don't understand why that happens. Have you had a few of those things mystify you? I have. Solomon says, when I see that, that's another thing under the sun that just makes me, what? And so he's he's bringing this up. So let me say a few things before we come to the meat of this section and how we can look at death and sudden calamity. This reality, if you're following along, can lead us to despair, not care, or seek wisdom. This hard reality that we're talking about this morning can lead us to despair, not care, or seek wisdom. I have some friends who don't believe in God. And so from time to time, we have conversations. And what one of them has said to me in recent years is that they constantly live with despair. I mean, this person is scary smart, way smarter than me. And yet they've they've decided that there is nothing beyond this world. And therefore, they're having a hard time, even with all their brilliance, even with all their goodness, to make sense of why even get out of bed. And why is anything worth it? And I watch that heavy despair that hangs over them day after day after day. And I pray that they come to a different conclusion at some point. But I've seen other people that don't care. 
They basically say, every weekend's a party. I'm going to inebriate myself. I'm going to medicate myself. I'm going to numb myself because this hard reality will not go away, but I don't want to think about it. And I also don't care anymore. I don't care about what I do. It doesn't matter what I do. The third option is the one that I think Solomon is pushing us to, and that is to seek wisdom greater than our own. And he is seeking to share some of that, but he's challenging us to think life through. So what would it mean to seek wisdom? And if you're following along, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon emphasizes our freedom to choose. In Ecclesiastes, Steve mentioned this last week, that our response is a choice. We, God has actually given us the power to decide. It's an incredible power. So when we look at these hard realities, we can go, okay, this is possible, this is possible, this is possible. I'm choosing this one. That seems the wisest course of action. Now again, wisdom is valuable, but it's not, invul- it's not invulnerable, it's vulnerable. It, 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 wisdom doesn't always protect us from death or calamity, but it can help serve us well as we live through life. And so seeking that. Um, some of you enjoy the show Fixer Upper on HDTV. My wife does. And so we've watched it for the last four seasons. And Tuesday, by the way, little plug here, is the last season. And so I've been reading Capital Gains, the book by Chip Gaines, because Chip and Joanna have a fascinating uh, life and uh, with their kids, and they're believers. So I was reading the book, and I get to the, one of the last chapters, and he talks about facing the reality of your death, and that you can actually let that serve you well. And so he tells about this website, and I'll put it up here on the screen, uh, death-clock.org, death-clock.org. And the idea here is that if you go there, you can plug in different information about yourself, your weight, your height, uh, your eating habits, your his family history, stuff like that. And so I did this, and it predicted the day I'm going to die. So do you guys want to know so you can come to my funeral? It is, uh, it's February 17th, 2044. The average male lives to 76.1 years. Um, this says that evidently I'm going to live to 83 Uh, So again, that means I've got about 26 years left. Now, that's just a calculator. Solomon says, we don't know. And yet, there's something about how that focuses me. That reminds me that I only have so many days. How will I spend them? Will I spend them wisely Or will I spend them in despair, not caring, or seeking wisdom? So here's the meat of the passage. Are you ready? Anybody else ready to get off that death thing and talk about what we can do in the face of death? Because I've entitled this message, Joy in the Face of Death. And here it is. Let's read verse 7 through 10. I'll uh, ask you to read verse 10 when we get to it. Go! Eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. 
Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless, short-lived life that God has given you under the sun, all of your short-lived, meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Now let's read verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Hmm. What's Solomon say? Okay, I've concluded that our lives are in God's hands. So knowing that our lives are in God's hands, here's wisdom if you want to spend your time on earth well. He says, first, go, Solomon says, go, do life with gladness and joy. Do life with gladness and joy. And when I say do life here, I'm talking about the most ordinary, everyday things. Look at what he lists. Eating, drinking, what you wear, how you smell, who you love, and how you work. And that you and I in these everyday moments have a choice of whether or not we'll do them with joy and gladness or we'll do it with despair and not caring. What are we gonna do it? How are we gonna spend that time? And this isn't the first time he's mentioned enjoy. Actually, there's six different times he mentions enjoy. They're called enjoy passages. Chapter two, chapter three, chapter five, chapter eight, chapter nine, and later chapter 11. But we're here in chapter nine. Look at the past things he said in chapter two, 24 through 25. Here's what he said earlier. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are what, friends? From the hands of God. Now look at verse 25. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Now, chapter five, look at what he says again. Even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given to them and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. Now look at chapter eight. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Can I ask you a question? Are you enjoying your life? Are you enjoying your life? What would it mean for you to enjoy your life? The word enjoy, if you're following along in the notes, it helped me this week to understand that it means to appreciate, take pleasure in, to prize, to relish, to savor. The idea here is, is that wherever you are, as Jim Elliott once said, be all there. Be all there. Take it in and, and just stop and pause and go to look heavenward and say, this is from your hand. This is a gift. This is a simple little evidence of your goodness to me. And I receive it as such. Um, I was reading how one man said that, you know, what this is teaching us is to enjoy life. Do you realize that some people have interpreted Christianity the opposite? Uh, I had a mentor of mine that said, some Christians 
looked like they'd been weaned on a pickle or baptized in lemon juice. (laughs) Howard Hendricks used to say that some Christians could be on the cover of the Book of Lamentations. (laughs) Now, friends, please hear me. Ecclesiastes has already said there's a time to mourn. There's a time to weep. If you're in the center of that right now, please do not hear me making light of that. But at some point, the people I have seen that have made the best response are those that at one point or another finally decided, I need to appreciate what I do have, and I need to give myself to life rather than just floating. And so he says, look, pause, appreciate. One of the most precious times for me every Sunday morning is when I drive and park. And uh, this morning, I, I just tried I just tried to appreciate the fact that my eyes could see color and that I could, I'm not a winter guy, but that I could appreciate this winter morning. And as my feet crunched across the grass, I thought to myself, I can hear that. I can experience this with you, God. This is a gift from your hand that you don't owe me. Oh, please help me to appreciate even the simplest, normal, everyday moments of life with eyes wide open, with wonder. Amen? Is that not a better way? Play it out. You choose. I choose wisdom. The second one, though, he says, is to give yourself. If you're following along, give yourself energetically, wholeheartedly, as a get-to. Give yourself energetically, wholeheartedly, as a get-to. Did you notice that in verse 10? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So let me just pause for a second and tell you yet again one of the lessons that my parents taught me that still is serving me well. I don't always get it right, but when I do, I see the wisdom of it. They said to me when they watched, especially when I was going through my teenage years and I was tempted, you know, to be the cool thing where I only did things half-heartedly at work or with my homework or in different things when it was one of my chores. They just said, okay, you got a choice every time These normal things come. Remember I talked about character a few weeks ago? They said, give yourself. Throw your whole heart into it. Not half-hearted, not bare minimum. Throw your whole heart into it. Give yourself, even in the simplest task. If you're sweeping, sweep. If you're, you know, driving to help someone, if you're working, whatever it is, if you're bagging groceries. So I worked in a grocery store. I told grocery stories before. One of the things they used to have was the sorting bottles in the back room. And they, you know, they had all the gooey, sticky stuff, and we were supposed to do that, and sometimes they were broken. So you had to do it, and we had to sort them so that then the companies could come pick them up. And then I also unloaded trucks. I cleaned the meat department. I worked in produce. I made 4,000 donuts a night. I did all this different stuff. And here's what I learned. The days that I was a slacker were the days that when I laid my head on the pillow, I had very little self-respect. But the days I gave myself... I realized that even if other people thought I was crazy, I deep down inspired them, and I inspired myself. And you and I can be those kind of people. Can I just tell you real quick? My parents, I don't think they're in this service. I don't see them, so I can say this, right? (laughs) But last Sunday, I got to sit right next to them. My dad's 81, my mom's 79. When I see them sing every Sunday, and the way they listen to the Word of God, I think, I want to be like that. I want to give myself. I'm not going to say, well, that's not my song. I'm not going to sing. Or I, I, no, it was about Jesus. I'm all in. 
and they gave themselves. And friends, we can be those kind of people. Amen? Let's be this kind of church where no one else is watching. Let our employers see us give 110%. Let us be in school, on teams, with our family members especially. Let us give ourselves. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Praise God for wisdom. Now, notice this. If this was all it is, you would walk out and go, okay, I don't even need God. I'll just do those two things. And the truth is, if you want to do those two things, you can try and do them in your own power. But you're going to run out of gas. And that's why I'm glad that Ecclesiastes is only one book in the Bible. So, if you're following along, Jesus says, one greater than Solomon is here. Jesus says, one greater than Solomon is here. That's what Jesus said when he came on the scene one day. Look at Luke eleven thirty one. So, the queen of Sheba, he says, will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Do you notice? She's seeking wisdom. She's not just despairing or not caring, but she's seeking wisdom. And now notice what Jesus says. Now, someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. So he's saying, listen up. You want to seek wisdom? You want to go through this life under the sun? You want to do it well? You want to have meaning and satisfaction? Then listen to me, because I'm wiser than Solomon. And one of the things we believe, friends, as Christians, is that this Bible has progressive revelation in the sense that what the Old Testament began to unfold was only a shadow of what was going to be revealed in the New Testament. And Jesus came to show a greater understanding. And so if you're following along, notice that Jesus has more to say about death and life. Jesus has more to say about death and life. Some of the things Solomon said were his limited understanding of what death would be like and life beyond death. And so you see some of the things he says, there's not going to be any of those things, you might as well make it count, none of this stuff. And you just go, wow, death is bad. And the incomplete explanation of death that the Ecclesiastes gives us makes us starve for something better. And Jesus gives it to us. So here's what he says in John 5, 24 through 29. I tell you the truth, he says, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed, what's the good news, friends? From death into life. Now, And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. They'll live right now. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that the same life-giving power to his Son, and he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Notice that both good and bad. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Let me just capsulize. He's saying, I have the power to give you life. Life now and life that has a quality of life that goes into all eternity. Oh, what I have in store for people that trust me. But if you listen to me, You'll respond to me. You'll depend on me. You won't trust in yourself. You will be willing to lose your life in order to save it. But whoever decides to save their life and hold onto their life and control their life will lose it. 
And he says, listen to me, okay? Then he says, and there's coming a day when people die that they're going to hear my voice because I am going to be there. They're going to have to deal with me. And when they deal with me, they're going to go to one of two places. You choose. You choose. You respond. What do you do with what I'm saying to you? Because then he goes on in John chapter 11. Look what he says. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus, in order to make that possible, died. He died under the sun. He came from outside the sun, and he died under the sun so that he could offer us life under the sun and beyond the sun. Amen? And then he did something better than that. He didn't just say, now try hard. He said, I will give you a new heart. I will put my Holy Spirit inside of you so that when you're walking through life, you'll be able to eat your food with more joy. You'll be able to drink with more gladness. You'll be able to dress with joy and gladness. You'll be able to do things with purpose in your relationships. You'll be able to work differently because my spirit is in you by grace through faith. Is this you? Have you ever come to a place where you realize that you were trying to do life on your own and he's bidding you to die to yourself and put your trust in him and let him take over and come into your life and give you a spirit? This is what he wants for every one of us. So let me close by asking these two questions. Do I believe there's life above and beyond the sun? Do I believe that there's life above and beyond the sun? Now, I know this. I know in a room like this, some of you don't. And what I want to say to it, say to you is this. At least you know where you are. At least you know where you are. Because if that's what you believe, then there's ramifications to what you believe, and there's ramifications to believe in the other. But where are you? Where are you right now? Because if you believe that there is life above and beyond the sun, that means that you are open to seeking wisdom greater than your own. If you don't, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And God wants you to know there's something more for you than that. But here's the second question. Am I preparing for a good death with Jesus? Am I preparing for a good death with Jesus? Philippians 1, 20 and 21 shows us what happened to a guy named Paul who was as self-righteous and as motivated to give himself to religion as anybody that's ever lived. But one day on a Damascus road, he realized that all of his effort was meaningless. That God was saying, will you put your trust in my son's effort for you? so that he can avail much in your life. And Saul was broken. He eventually became the Apostle Paul. And here's what he writes later in life. He's saying, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's better for me to live now, here, keep on doing that, or to be with Christ. And he says, for to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. You want to talk about win-win. You want to talk about praise God, better wisdom than Ecclesiastes. This is what he wants for you. So let me just pause for a moment. There are some people in our church that know that their day of death is coming. And I know some people that have already planned their funeral so it'll glorify God. And they've looked over the time they have left and they've thought, how can I live for the glory of God instead of myself? 
How can I throw myself into serving other people? How can I give myself? How can I appreciate what I have? And what they've learned is that by knowing this reality is coming and what Christ has done to help them see life differently, they're seeing life differently and they're seeing opportunities and they're seeing wonder and all those things are possible because God wants this for us. But he's given us the freedom to decide and choose where are you? Where are you today? Are you enjoying your life? Have you come to understand there's life greater than what Solomon describes in Ecclesiastes? I hope so. Because here's what we believe as we teach this series. Only in Christ, only in Christ do we have meaning and purpose. Only he can give it to us. Only he can give us life beyond the sun so we can live under the sun with hope and purpose in our step. Praise his name. Do you mind just being seated a moment longer? I, I sense that God wants to do something today in somebody's heart, maybe many. I want to just say to you as a pastor, I have stood at the graves of a number of people. I've stood by hospital bedsides when people are dying. I've seen death more than I want to see it. And here's what I've learned. The greatest gift you can give your loved ones is to give them the assurance that you're right with God through Jesus Christ. The hardest funerals to do are when people, that's unclear. So I guess I just want to say to you this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity. I don't want you to feel arm twisted at all. But have you, have you done that? Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't spend any more days under the sun, aimless, purposeless, without knowing Jesus. So um, let me just say a prayer. And as I say it, I want to just tell you, I was by a woman's bedside one day, and she looked up at me, very weak, but she looked at me, and all of a sudden a smile came across her face, and she said, isn't it wonderful to have a Savior? And I thought, oh, it is. So, as you bow your head, do you sense the Holy Spirit asking you to surrender your life to Him? To let Him be the Lord of your life? Because the Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved saved from the consequences of rejecting and not listening to him, saved from the consequences of their own evil in their hearts and sin in their hearts, to be forgiven, cleansed, and given a future and an eternity. God has set eternity in our hearts. You know that. So are you there? Are you ready? Then I just ask you in your own voice, whisper or in your heart, call on him. Look to him today. That's the wisest thing you'll ever do under the sun change your life under the sun and your life beyond the sun. Please know there's always people down front to be glad to pray with you. You're dismissed.